about a week ago, I found myself barreling down a gravel road in my minivan. I parked on the side of the road overlooking a Colorado tailwater and waited for an acquaintance to arrive. Oma says you okay? Yeah? Good. Oma's okay. So, you got any money? You got any stuff? And just like that, a shiny new truck parked next to me. Did I take a wrong turn somewhere? I don't know, but you cut the back tires of that minivan loose. I like seeing that. It's awesome. <laughs> this is Tim Evans. A little sluice on the back end. This is all good. You may have heard his voice on another fly fishing podcast that's swimming around the interwebs. My podcast might as well be called Beers After Fishing. That's 90% of what we do. Tim and I weren't there to exchange Colombian Bam Bam for cash. But rather, our plan was to trade some stories and maybe wrangle a couple fish. So welcome to this collaboration episode of the Drake Cast with Fish on the Brain. For those who fish, this is the Drake Cast with the Fish in the Brain podcast. He was tying feathers on a hook. And I'm here to take you guys with me on all my fishing adventures. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. We're going to go to some of the coolest places and interview and sit down and talk with some of the coolest people in the fly fishing world. The river was like a woman. Could be a disco midge, it could be a bead head. I hope you enjoyed as much as I have. I'm your host, Tim Evans, Elliot Adler. Clip that on a little bit more if you don't mind, just so it's, no, the, the pack, just so it doesn't slip out. I just kind of, I didn't know if you wanted to move it. Yeah. The purpose of getting together with Tim Evans was admittedly a bit commercial. We'd like to expose our respective listener base to the others, and a cynic would say that that's the whole purpose of this episode. But after we put our rods down and found a nice sunny spot on the riverbank, we ended up talking fishing and podcasting and telling stories and just enjoying ourselves. So this is a collaboration episode. You'll get a bit of Tim's style of on-the-water Q&A, but we've also inserted some of our favorite clips from both the Drakecast and Fish on the Brain. Without further ado, here's my chat with Tim Evans, or Tim Evans' chat with me, however you want to look at it. So, um, I'm a little curious, because you do yours with the Drake. I mean, yeah. how, did your, how did your podcast kind of get kicked off? I mean, were you a fisherman first, or a podcaster first, or where does this all begin? So I began fly fishing in probably middle school with my dad in Wisconsin for bass and then moved into trout. And then I went to college at University of Washington in Seattle. And the, kind of the reason I went out there is because, as you probably know, Wisconsin doesn't really have mountains. And I wanted to get into mountaineering and climbing, and I did that and was out a lot. But my joints just don't have it in them, and I'm not studious enough when it comes to physical therapy. Yeah, yeah, maintenance. And so I just kind of wore myself out to the point where I couldn't climb. And from there, knew I wanted to work in the outdoor industry. I'd worked at the climbing gym at the university and really liked just the atmosphere and the people that I was exposed to. And just kind of started backpacking and bringing my fly rod along instead of hurting my body, climbing up peaks that aren't hard to climb. Like, I, I wasn't a great climber by any means. And from there, I graduated and fished across the country for a couple trips. Went up to Alaska to work on a saner, and on the flight up there, the saner sank. Actually, it ran aground. Oh, oh, no shit. And so I found myself 
without a boat, day late and a dollar short. Ended up just sending emails to all the lodges around. And I then worked as a deckhand and a fly fishing guide at a little lodge on Kodiak Island. And uh, from there, ended up meeting another lodge owner who the next summer hired me. And so I kind of had that in the bag. And so for the next year, worked odd jobs, traveled around, fished a lot, and worked my second summer up in Alaska as a guide for like four and a half months. And by the end of it, I was just underwhelmed by like my prospects in life. I didn't love guiding. I love being out on the river, but it's customer service. And I'm, I think a little too opinionated and arrogant and, uh, short tempered and impatient to guide. At least you know. Yeah. At least you know. And so while I was up there, my brother had been in the podcasting game in New York. I'm Jad Abumrad. I'm Robert Krulwich. This is Radio Lab. And today we have a little experiment in democracy, diversity, and division. Yeah. Comes to us from our reporter producer, Simon Adler. Okay. <clears throat> All right, Simon. Okay. What what do you have to tell me? So a couple months back, uh, I took the train down to Southern Brooklyn. And what he was doing was really cool. And we had worked on a couple projects together. And it was fun to watch the like the growth of that story. Yeah from nothing to something. It's it's just cool. So I started writing about fly fishing and had a couple submissions entered into the Drake. And then once I finished up my guiding season up in Alaska, I emailed Tom just saying like, hey, I want to do a podcast for you guys. Right now, there's quite a few fly fishing specific podcasts out there that are Q&A, talking with people that are in the industry. But there's hardly any editing. There's no storytelling. And like, I want to take the Drake as a magazine and put it into audio format. And he's like, sure, I'm not going to pay you. Uh, <laughs> but you can come move to Denver and, like, file subscription cards and then, like, goof around and do that. And so I did that for a few months and then got to drive Clyde around the country for, like, two, oh, and a, like nice. two months. Do you have your insurance registration? Oh, pardon me. Yeah. Let me grab those. Do you work with fly fishing? Yeah. Yeah. Fly fishing magazine called the Drake. You've got... Stickers up here. While you travel so much? Yeah. It's in here somewhere. Sorry, I've I've never been pulled over before. You've never Um, been pulled over? No, no, I'm I'm a good driver. Except when I have a headlight out, right? (laughs) You Uh, on probation, you thought that? No, nothing like that. Is there anything illegal in the vehicle? Um, No, I've got two cans of beer that are fully capped in the back seat. I'm not sure if that's illegal. No kind of of open containers of alcohol? No, nothing No kind of marijuana? No, nothing Illegal prescription medication? No, sir. Any kind of meth? Cocaine, no, no, bazookas, landmines, Batman, Rob, Ninja Turtles, things like that. <laughs> Maybe some Batman Maybe in here. Batman. Yeah, yeah. Let me check. On that trip, I was able to get a ton of audio, which eventually launched the podcast in June. That is awesome. I just wanted to create something unique within a world that I loved. Yep. And I've so far been trying to do that, but you know, I don't have any training. I don't have any mentorship. <laughs> like I, I really don't know what I'm doing, and and so. From there, I've just been finding stories that I find interesting Mm -hmm. and then trying to put them into an approachable format that hopefully other people will find interesting. But really, it's just kind of an excuse to mix the creative side of my brain with the more analytical numbers side of my brain of chopping the editing and messing around with music and stuff like that. And so that's really where this has all come from. And I, I do think that I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder. My brother works for Radio Lab, which is just a huge <laughs> yep. giant one of the, production. Yeah, giant production, and he's very successful. And so maybe it was a, a complete gaffe to enter the same industry as him, but in a much more 
hyper localized right. version where it's one like one guy podcast ye- as opposed to a whole team and like I'm happy if we get X thousand listens where they're going for millions, you know, Correct. things like that. And so there is part of me that needs to get over feeling like I'm in the shadow of my brother. <laughs> you know, it's a work in progress. Yep. yep. That's kind of what I do a lot with mine and I try to do is um, it's just it's just stories. It's just people. And I think there's some cool stuff out there. Um, and it's I mean, mine's much less of a, a mission than it seems like for yours. You know, you've kind of got a. I like the chip on the shoulder, though. It pushes you to do do it better. Yeah, I mean, it just parallels the life of being a man who's five and a half feet tall. You, <laughs> you always got something to prove. You don't really know why, yep. but you always have something to prove. <laughs> um, what I find most interesting about your podcast is that I haven't come across anybody who does any other on the water recording, and I think that's when the magic happens. You know. An interview sitting across a table from somebody or in the fly shop with somebody, that's great, but it can only be as good as the questions that you ask. And it can only be as good as the person is willing to be open. And if you just kind of let the mic go and just let people tell their story without really knowing they're telling their story. How about you? Where, Where was your start? How did you come up through this? Fly fishing came a little later in life for me. I, my dad did it, but I would always be chucking spinners, and you know, I was outdoors a lot growing up. And where are you from? Wyoming. Yep. So Casper, and uh, we never fished the Platte very much. Actually, kind of a funny story. They changed the laws on that river to protect the fly fishing industry and the fish and whatnot, and they made a big section of it no live bait, and that made my dad so irate he wouldn't fish the river anymore. <laughs> He was so mad he couldn't just go throw a worm. And so he just stopped fishing that river, you know? And so, okay, well, I guess we're gonna go fish lakes and mountain stuff and ice fish and, you know, that kind of, that kind of deal. And he, he had fly rods and whatnot. And, but I then had uh, cousins and friends that got really deep into it, became guides. And, you know, it's just kind of a cool world. We've spent some time with some friends and whatnot. So I just got a cheap setup, after, I think during college and just started chucking, uh, chucking it out with them and trying to learn some of it with them. Which, by the way, speaking of college, the more me and you talk, the more weird parallels I find. For instance, in college, I also worked at the climbing gym and was trying to mountaineer too. So, some fun stuff. But when I really got into it, I caught a couple big fish on complete accident and it really jazzed me up and kind of showed me the fun side of, of why people get into this. Uh, fly fishing that is and I think it was less than two months later after a couple of those experiences where I was really kind of amping up and getting ready to jump into that world a little bit more I got an offer to move to Texas for a job and so signed up ran down there and through that I was on the road a lot so I would spend hours and hours in the truck and there's only so much radio you can listen to you know, before you got to go to audiobooks and podcasts and this and that. And I was, I was getting into fishing the coast and redfish and some things like that. And so I was still trying to push the, a little deeper into the fly fishing world and learn a little bit more and, and catch some big fish. And, you know, it's redfish is like two hours away from where I live. Let's, let's do that. So I started listening to fly fishing podcasts. You know, you find your interest out there and dig into it. And I was jamming through some of them and some of them are really good and informative and 
Some of them, you know, tell some good stories, but I didn't find what I wanted. Like I was just like, there's gotta be somebody out there that's catching exactly what you said there. Those moments that just organically happen. You know, I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm doing a decent job interviewing somebody. Sometimes I'm not, but I, I hate interviewing people. I like talking to people and I like BSing with people and I like the random talk you have on a boat or over beers afterward, uh, which is what most of my podcasts are is beers after fishing. Like that's my podcast might as well be called beers after fishing. <laughs> that's 90% of what we do. I've done some really cool on the boat stuff and things like that, where you do capture some of those moments that otherwise just die out there on the water and no one ever hears it. And it's just between those two people. Okay, right here at 10 o'clock short, just drop what you got, come right, come right, five feet. Good, leave that, get tight to it. Pick it up, go five feet right. Yep, I see him. Good, slide the fly, slide it, slide it, slide it, slide it, slide it, slide it. It's going way out at 12. Maybe, just get tight to that. Ah. Yeah, I see her, still hey. see her. Good shot. So I, uh, did I overcast that first one? No, no, you were just too okay. close. Yeah. We were actually inside of her swim pass. She was kind of angling away from us. Yeah. Does it kind of get tough to get them to eat after they divert to get around you? Or do they just... Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's, like, it's like getting turned down for a kiss and copping a feel. You know? <laughs> just kind of like... That's the... Kind of the crack dealer in every god, I think, man. Is you know, If they can give you that one little taste, you know, just that... If they can be the guy that puts you on your first tarpon, like right. you'll, you'll, you'll bring unholy amounts of money back to them for the rest <laughs> of their life. It's almost like going to a party and having a really good friend there and a couple other friends and being like, hey, Dusty, tell, tell these guys that story about when you went and caught that tarpon. I mean, it's a rad story. I'm sure these guys would love it. You know, it's almost like that. That's what I'm trying to do. You know, make it more personal and hear some of those cool, really unique stories that you get to hear out there on the water and, and catch some of those moments. It's weird looking into the guide world, you know, and, and we meet a side of people when they're guiding us as fishermen that maybe isn't 100% who they would be in front of their friends, which is fair. You know, they're professionals and they are there to do a job. And that job is to make sure someone has a great time on the river, gets an awesome experience, hopefully catches some fish. And it, it's, it's fun to try to catch those guys as who they are and get some stories that they might not tell people. There's just too many good stories that those guys get to see. That that's a lot of, sometimes what I'm trying to dig out of them is, is a little bit of who they are and, and some of the fun stuff they've seen. Can you give me some examples of those stories, those secrets? Yeah, so I got a really good one. Uh, I told you I was over at the Vail World Championship fly fishing and I was with uh, the South African fly fishing team competition's done everyone's having a good time it's at the bar at the hotel where everyone's being hosted and I just grabbed a pitcher of beer and came over and set down the podcast gear and asked them if they wanted to join me for a chat you know and it was a fantastic time I got two of them on there uh, Nick Van Rensburg and uh, Christian Pretorius and 
the episode's hilarious. It goes directly off the rails because it's two pictures later that we stopped this podcast and we're talking about everything. You know, it went off the rails, but one story we got into was he guided in Kamchatka. So, so I had one of my guides, so I've got two Russian guides. So my, my two fellow Russian guides, one is his name Sasha and the other one's Dima. So Sasha had two guests. He was opposite across the river from me and his guest on the back us like the guests normally do, they hook a tree. Yeah. So flies quite high up and Sasha's climbing the tree and he keeps falling out the tree on his back. The last time he fell out, he hurt his back quite bad. And he walked up to his raft, he gets his shotgun, walks up to the tree, boom, 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 shoots down the branch, got the fly back, gave it flies to the guests. This is, there we go. <laughs> so gnarly, dude. Just madness, you know, what, the, what, what happens out there and stuff. So, and he was just telling a story and he was a great storyteller and you know that's some fun stuff that I like to share and catch. Uh, another one that was really cool was I got to fish. Uh, you said you're going to the Oregon coast. Uh, I was over there fishing some steelhead, and fishing with a couple, Kate Taylor and uh, Justin Crump, and great people, fun, fun people, and run a really cool outfit over there. But uh, long story short, she's got a really, really interesting story of how she came to fly fishing, and it was. She had a lot of really cool stories about how moments along the way that were kind of formative for her becoming a guide and becoming who she is. Just the responses that I'm sure you've probably heard too of when you tell somebody you're going to be a fishing guide. I put myself through school before I moved to Washington uh, as a nanny for a family. Okay. And uh, they were great people, very successful, and they were very much encouraging me to figure out what I was going to do and do it. <laughs> and uh, so so I called Scott. Scott, the guy that you're working for as a nanny? Yeah, that I work for as a nanny. Yeah. So I said, I, I finally found it. I finally found what I'm going to do. And he was like, that is so awesome, Kate. I knew you would figure it out. Um, yeah, I knew you'd finally figure it out. You know, you're such a hard worker. You got this, you know. Oh, so what is it that you want to do? It's like, I'm going to be a fisherman. He's like, damn it, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, okay. All right. Well. Anyway, that's just some of the cool stuff about stories about how people got places, you know, and, and figured out how to get into this, into the, some of the world that they live in. I've definitely run across stories in that same realm and I it's such a cliche you know the whole fly fishing saved my life you hear often but oftentimes it's true and having not having that sense of being able to fit in you know and trying to fit in I think led me to a lot of a lot of drinking and um, you know it was never just have one why even start why even begin I was drinking from a really early age when I was just old enough to reach the beer bottles off of the tables and I think that gave me that sense of ease and comfort, you know, that you get with having your mind being able to just quiet down. And that then became sort of my social life, and it finally got the best of me. My life had to take a, take a huge turn. I was pretty well broken to be open to something different in my life. And at 33 years old, I finally quit drinking. But the one thing that was constant in my life was the was the woods and the water and the wind you know that was always my comforting place 
whether most people like to admit it or not, they like to talk. And they like somebody to ask them questions about them. And you'll, you can sometimes just see it. People, like their eyes are brimming over of just like, stick that microphone in my face and let me tell you this because it might be hard for me to tell, but I need to get it out. And I, it's going to help me and I hope that Hopefully it's a win-win-win. We're going to start winning again. We're going to win so much. We're going to win at every level. We're going to win economically. We're going to win with the economy. We're going to win with military. We're going to win with health care and for our veterans. We're going to win with every single facet. We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. We can't take it anymore. Mr. President, it's too much. And I'll say, no, it isn't. We have to keep winning. We have to win more. We're going to win more. We're going to win so much. The teller wins. I win as somebody uh, retelling the story. And then the listeners can also benefit from it. You know, that fly fishing saves lives deal, that's, you know, it is cliche and it is weird to kind of, it feels awkward coming out of your mouth saying it. Because it's, you know, for a lot of people, it's just a hobby. It's just something that they do. But... Um, you know, it's something to hold on to and something to, something to focus your life on and pay attention to and, but, and something to share with people. Yeah, what are some of your other favorite stories that you've run across? I, I got a chance to fish with uh, David Mangum and, you know, he's in the film tour every year and... Tarpon certainly has kind of, you know, grayed out everything else. <laughs> more so than anything else in my life that I've kind of pointed myself at. And it seems to be getting worse, you know. <laughs> I think of the 120 days of my year that are coming up all, all year long. It's, I don't know if it's healthy, it's, uh, <laughs> it just is who I am. And Mangum was this like all-star character kind of thing, you know, almost put him on this weird pedestal of, you know, he's a rock star in the industry. He's cool, he's really good at his job, he's more dedicated than anybody else, catches more fish than anybody else. You know, there's all this thing that you put uh, around a guy like that. So I'm racking my brain how I can try to figure out a way to, to meet this guy. And I end up booking him completely out of season because I figured there's no way I'm getting him during tarpon season. Absolutely not. You know, two days later, I find myself on the boat with this guy that I just thought was, you know, kind of the cat's ass. And I felt like when we turned the podcast on or even on the boat, you remember those old SNL skits with Chris Farley where he interviews really famous people and it's the most awkward thing on the planet? I'm 24 like, years old, so no. <laughs> okay. All right. You, you remember, when, remember when you were with the Beatles? That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was. I almost felt like that, you know, tripping over my words, kind of starstruck. Sure. I think we just got to derail with my excitement as it is right now, because you just helped me land my first tarpon and catch my first tarpon and my first tarpon bite, anything, all of it, all together. Um, cool. can't. Yeah, that was fun. It's, you know, I don't, it seems like I don't get the opportunity to fish with a lot of new people anymore for tarpon and, uh, it's really fun to experience that with somebody new, and it was fun today to experience that with you. He's such a down-to-earth guy that most of that went away, but that was a really cool experience to be able to fish with some guys like that. And, you know, I've had the fortune of meeting some other ones in the industry too, but 
one cool thing about fishing with him that uh, was an interesting thing I never thought of is he's been in the world so long and developed this reputation, he doesn't get to fish with new fishermen anymore. Most folks kind of keep their days year after year, you know, especially for the tarpon season. And so you kind of know them and you've known them for a long time and they're kind of, you know, there's not a lot of new things that happen, maybe new situations or, you know, new stuff certainly always happens tarpon fishing, but it's never their first tarpon anymore. Yeah. Today, uh, you know, you you managed the the mistakes pretty well. So, you know, <laughs> the, the first mistake everybody makes, the standard is moving your rod or the quote unquote dreaded trout set. Mm. And you didn't do that. So, but what we did do the first bite, we broke the fish off because you vice gripped the fly line and pop instantly gone, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep, that's, that's number two mistake. And then those are the first two things everybody does when they first start messing with poons. So that was a cool moment we got to share. That's awesome. I, I really love that community. And I, I was talking with a few guys about this the other day, but those who listen to the podcast can probably tell I'm, I'm a pretty left-wing guy. And I don't necessarily keep my opinions to myself as well as I should. But in the context of the outdoors and specifically fly fishing, I can kind of let that go by the wayside. There's a tarpon guide down in Florida that I've hung out with a few times that just has, in my opinion, the most backward politics in the world. But we're able to get past that and drive around and like he took me through his hometown and we went and looked at his river and fished a little bit and just had a great time. And so it allows a connection because, oh, it turns out we both have this huge part of our life in common. And I can get past the other parts that might be repulsive to me. And I, I, I can kind of actually enjoy the guy and right. see him as a person rather than someone who voted for... The other side. The other side, yeah, whatever that <laughs> side may be. Yep. You talked about meeting interesting people that are making their way in this industry in maybe an unconventional way or or a, a different way. One that blows my mind that, again, I never thought I would meet, but just complete happenstance because our world so small in the fly fishing is uh, Jeff Courier. Just by sheer force of will, it seems like, Jeff Courier has made a spot for himself in this industry doing nothing but fly fishing. And that's the crazy thing is he hasn't done it in a conventional way of opening a fly shop or being a guide. You know, he's found his own way in this place, you know, which um, not that me and you were doing it by making our tens of dollars podcasting, but it's kind of fun to be a part of it, you know, and make make our own little little mark on it. <laughs> I think another thing that I really like about this job is that both with the magazine and through the podcast, being able to uncover some histories. They're definitely not complete histories, but I loved going through and talking to Steve Daly and Alex Lavkus and uh, Kelly Gallup about like putting big streamers for trout. Yep, on the map. Really putting it on the map. And I got my first really huge daytime brown trout. Everything I'd ever thought, read, seen, I went, this is bullshit. Had to relearn everything. They were the 25, 26, 27, 28 inch fish that were all of a sudden now willing to make a play on that 8 inch fly that were never coming out. That whole white fishery, if Alex hadn't broke that rod, I don't know 
if it would still be fishing. Oh, you'll get them on that. Oh, yeah, you'll get them on that. That'll work. These guys usually don't catch any of them. Those will work. Anyway, Johnson goes out 600 yards from the boat ramp. He scores a 27-inch fish. And the whole world changed right there. And whether or not it's a sustainable fishery because of the fact that those brown trout are just eating all those goofed up stalker rainbows that are being pumped in by the millions, it's kind of beside the point. Yeah. It's people going down, making something out of nothing, and sharing that experience, and just seeing the potential of it. And then of course on the flip side you see the harm this sport can do. I, I'm really fascinated by social media within fly fishing. And I put a podcast out there about it where I talked to a few people and it was, it was kind of generic. Like, I don't think I was saying anything new, but just thinking about it. And every time that I go on to Facebook or I go on to Instagram, either as an employee of the magazine or as myself, and just thinking about what I'm consuming and thinking about what I'm posting and how is that going to impact this sport as a whole, but also the individual fisheries that I love. How has social media impacted the performance of your company? How did it allow you guys to grow? It's been huge yeah, for us. Huge. It's a incredibly important tool for us still, but in terms of growing to where we are now was even more critical piece. So I've been in this thing for over 40 years and I think the social media one of the few good things I can say is that it's actually grown our industry. I mean, people even embrace Tenkara. I mean, what kind of bullshit's that? Wait, I didn't say that. No. <laughs> I mean, I remember trying to figure out where to go when I was a kid before there was Instagram and stuff. And it's like, you know, you'd have to get out maps. Like, I'd be going to the library to, like, you know, look at a map of the Littlewood because I didn't even know really where it was. You know, and now, the other day, I was just messing around, typing in the hashtag of kind of secret rivers or whatever on Instagram to see what came up. And like every single one of them had at least a few guys that's right there. And so it just makes it so easy to get like such an influx of information. Whereas before that, you know, that information only came from blood, sweat and tears and like putting in the work and, and driving to the wrong place two times, you know. The last thing I'd say is before you make a post of any kind, just ask yourself if that was your home water, if that was what you fished every day, if that's what you spent 20 years learning how would you feel? I've had to go through it with the Drake for years, thinking, would I put this, would I write this if it was a place that I fished on a weekly basis? Just think about how everybody else might think about it if you're giving something away. And whether or not it's a net benefit or a net cost, a loss, I, I don't know the answer. And there's another story in there. I, I got to put together another podcast on that, but yeah, there's uh, I've had two really good tarpon podcasts revolving around very similar topics. Uh, one was actually my very first podcast, I think, that I put out with KT Townsend down in Port O'Connor of why there's no more tarpon in Port O'Connor anymore. And where is Port O'Connor? Port O'Connor, Texas. It's in between uh, Corpus Christi and Houston. But before we can hear from KT Townsend in Port O'Connor, Texas, a few words from our sponsors. This episode of the Drake Cast is made possible by our good friends at Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. Since so much of this episode centers around the fisheries within the U.S., Yellow Dog, this is Jake. I decided to call up Yellow Dog employee Jake Wells, who oversees operations in the U.S. West and Louisiana. And I asked him about some of the recent trips he's been on. Uh, 
boy, where to start? <laughs> February, I went out to the Olympic Peninsula, which is obviously the winter steelhead mecca. That was like nothing else in the lower 48. Then come springtime, visit uh, our partnered lodges here in our home state of Montana, uh, the Missouri, uh, the Madison, cross the border, fish the Bow River in Calgary. Oh, I guess I should mention too, I had the privilege of doing uh, the Smith River float trip. Definitely a trip of a lifetime. July, I went over to the Wind River in Wyoming, caught you know some of the biggest trout that you'll find anywhere in the lower 48. So it was a fun, fun, fun year. <laughs> For more information on any of these destinations, as well as many others, visit yellowdogflyfishing.com. We're also sponsored by the fine folks at Scott Fly Rods. A couple weeks ago, I managed to catch up with Scott Pro Staff, Josh Lively, to chat about what's new at Scott. I'm really stoked about the new G-Series. That was a real challenge to improve the G2. And uh, moving forward with the G-Series, we're able to make a rod that's not just a dry fly only rod. We're allowed to do more with it, but it's still the premier dry fly rod. So I'm really into the new G-Series and what that's working with. Why is it better? What made this iteration of the G better? Modern technology allows us to make the rod lighter. We all like a rod that's lighter, but we're able to change the way the rod bends and we're able to get the rod to bend in the hand so we get a true flexing rod. And what that does is the flex is not just from the tip, now it's in the butt section of the rod. So it allows us to still maintain an awesome dry fly rod, but it's also a rod that we can do light technical nymphing with. Now with the G-Series, we're able to do more with it. And if you think about it, that rod has been around since 73. It's the longest production rod known to man. So G went from 73 to 96, G2 96 to 2017. Then we're like, wow, we gotta come up with a way to reinvent the G. And so here we are, the new era, 2018 G-Series. To try out this newfangled G-Series rod or any other handcrafted, hand-signed Scott rods, check them out at your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. Alrighty, before the break, Tim was setting us up to hear a clip from his chat with KT Townsend about where the Texas tarpon have gone. This used to be known as a tarpon destination, this in Rockport. Port Aransas was actually, the name of Port Aransas was Tarpon, Texas. Okay. And that's where the tarpon inn is, it's still there. Yeah. Uh, you can go there today and there's scales all over the walls from the 1930s, 40s, 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know where you're headed with this is it was, it was actually the number one tarpon destination in the world for a period of time. Right. And the, the misnomer, the big bad information out there, is the tarpon just disappeared. Well, they didn't disappear. They changed their pattern somewhat. And if you look at the history of what happened down there, um, it was about the same time that people started using outboard motors, it was about the same time that the rivers started to be dammed up. It was at a period of time when any farm and ranch could use any insecticide or herbicide or fertilizer that they wanted to use. So you had a, and then in Mexico, my goodness, which is really our nursery for our fish here, there were some foundries and plants down there that were dumping all kinds of hazardous stuff in the water. And, and also damming some of the rivers in Mexico, like Guerrero, famous bass fishery down there. Yep. 
But when they dammed up Guerrero, that just killed one of the many nurseries that we used to have. And all of it's because of what we've done, bottom line. You know, and it's, it's hard, it's weird. You know, we kill tarpon every year by fly fishermen catching them and releasing them. And so there's that question of what are we doing? Are we hurting it? Are we helping it? Are we bringing awareness to it because we're out there loving it and doing conservation? Are we, and the net gain there is, is positive, but it doesn't mean there's not negative to it. I was talking to a friend of mine about both steelheading for native runs, steelhead on uh, the Pacific coast, as well as when I was in Iceland fishing for Atlantic salmon and just explaining how excited I was to have caught my first Atlantic salmon. Because, you know, like, this river might only get a run of two or 300 fish, and it's just incredible to be able to experience that and appreciate that. And her response was just, why the hell are you fishing for them if there's only two or 300 of them? Like, can't you just appreciate them by knowing that they're there or maybe looking at them? Like, why do you need to put a hook in them? So what we want now is uh, service strikes. And on my second cast, you want to tail it? We were in the top pool. I guided you into the, the pool. I told you exactly where to cast and bam, it was on. It was, it was great fun. And then the fish, you know, ran straight from the pool down the, down the, the rapids. And it was really funny <laughs> watching you <laughs> running after it. This was my first Atlantic salmon, but something was off. Oh, he's, he's bleeding. I'd hooked the fish too deep and blood poured out of its gills. This fish wasn't going to make it. I'd finally landed my first Atlantic salmon, this majestic threatened animal, and I killed it. I think we do need to take a step back and ask ourselves those questions sometimes. And you know, there's some weird other half of the stories of what we as humans have done on this planet that have affected us in a big way too. Like most of the trout in this country are not native to this country, and it is formed our entire foundation of our hobby, our sport, our, the industry that, the, that surrounds it, you know, and it's, it's a strange thing to step back and look at. It's easy to look at the small things and look at a local level. It's hard to look at it on a big picture and, and, and weigh it all. And it's hard to look at it that way because it's all generated by what we've done here. Welcome to the Anthropocene, my friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. I did an episode, one of the early episodes, I think it was called Stream Implants, was taking a micro example of that, of looking at a stream that had been built in Kentucky below a hatchery flowing into the Cumberland River. If we look at the example of Hatchery Creek, companies impacted naturally occurring streams, some of which held populations of native brook trout. Of course, they paid a fee for this. That money was then used to refurbish a completely artificial stream running out of a fish hatchery which was built to repopulate a river under a man-made dam so that fishermen like you and I have a place to catch non-native fish. The whole question throughout this story has been natural versus artificial. But when the landscape and waterways have been altered by humans for the past hundred years, is there really anything natural left? I realize I'm on a high horse here and I've definitely caught fish in release them and they haven't lived. Like that's just, that's part of the game. Yep. I think it's a matter of being conscious about what we are and aren't doing and what, it, what impact it has and doesn't. And, and honestly deciding if we're okay with that or not. Like, I don't want to kill a tarpon. I probably have killed a tarpon. You know, I've drug one down for 
45 minutes before and then released it or it got away. You know, I don't know if that thing survived, but it's a, it's a balance. And I think it's important to be realistic with ourselves. It is. It, we're definitely in a paradox. We're all guilty of it. I mean, there was just a report came out that once again confirmed that fish feel pain. You know, like <laughs> we all know that we try to ignore it, but hell, would you like me to stick a safety pin through your lip right now? It's an interesting world, and I, I think that's kind of the documentarian that comes out in what we do to try to learn more about what this really is and what it really means. And, you know, that's the, the fun part of that is learning the history and meeting the cool people and, and the stories and how they got there. And the less fun part about it is seeing the bigger picture of what it all really looks like and worrying what it's going to look like in the future. You know, I've... I've sat down with a couple of folks in my podcast, Jeff Courier was one of them, and asked them, you know, you fished all over this planet for some of the most obscure species and some of the most highly regarded species. What would you recommend a guy like me fish before it goes away? So how about this? For a guy who doesn't have 400 species caught on the fly, what species are you telling that guy to say, hey, go do this before it's not something you can do anymore? I would say um, I would try to do the Mongolia timing. Yeah. I would try to do uh, Golden Dorado in Bolivia. Not that those fish are going away, but it's just not the same. After it's not so going to be the After right. so many people do it, there's a lot of pressure there now. After doing what I've done and seeing some of the, the fisheries that I've seen and being realistic with myself, it's, it's hard to see some of it stopping. It's hard to see all of it getting saved. You know, and I'm, I'm all about conservation and trying to make sure we do. But I'm also a little selfish in the fact that, you know, there's stuff I want to see before it's not there anymore. It's a fatalistic <laughs> approach. And then we can rationalize to ourselves that like, oh, maybe we're offsetting a little bit of it by exposing a few thousand people to our ideas of conservation. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, our hundreds of listeners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, maybe we are. And then there is the whole debate of putting economic value on our natural resources so that they are appreciated and conserved. It, it, very much so. It's, it's a rabbit hole of rationalization or maybe there's argument for it, but we could sit here for another three hours and have that talk. But. And still not come to an answer. One, because there probably isn't an answer. And two, because we're probably not articulate enough to really get to the bottom of it. Or smart enough to have that conversation. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... You know, we've talked about the fun stories we get to hear. Um, we've talked about kind of the conservation aspect of it. What else do you see out of it? Because I've, I've got a few ideas of things that, you know, are, are really interesting. Having looked at it from a podcast point of view, one of them that comes to mind that there's that aspect of if you're observing it and measuring it and recording it, you've changed it. It wouldn't have been the same if you didn't have a, a mic there. Right. So that's just a interesting perspective that that haunts me not often so just something that we got to fight to keep our own perspective on yeah and I, I think I would challenge everybody else out there are you going to fish that section of the South Platte to enjoy it or are you going there to catch that 18 inch rainbow that's been caught seven dozen times in the last two years so that you can hold it up and get 75 to 150 likes on Instagram and I, I, I struggle with that same thing. I mean, there has to be a bit of narcissism to spending, for me, 30 plus hours a week producing something that is centered around my voice. <laughs> you know, like you gotta acknowledge that. 
we took a little dark turn there with the uh, conservation story and the recording it and changing how we do there at the end, but. Let's end on a happy note then. Well, how about that? I mean, that's a pretty happy note. You've got some cool stuff coming down the pipeline, <laughs> right? Yeah, as do you, yeah. Going on the fly fishing film tour for the, the total West Coast run, a little bit in the Midwest, and I'll do Colorado as well, which will be cool. I mean, a friend of mine texted me, he's like, yo, are you going to do a story on the fly fishing film tour? It's like, no, not nearly that cool. I am pressing play and making sure that nobody spills beer on the projectors. But hey. it's a good excuse to travel the country, Absolutely. meet a bunch of people, fish across the country. I'll get to spend a week out in Oregon fishing steelhead. How about you? What do you got coming up? Big trips. Got some fun trips planned. Going to uh, Panama next month. Oh, are you going to do sailfish? Well, we, I hope so. It's kind of up in the air. What we're really hoping to do is go and bang the rocks for roosters. So it's height of the rooster run, and uh, might throw some big sink tip on, see if we can find a Colbert snapper too. My wife's coming down, and it's my cousin who's been on a ton, half of my podcast probably. Uh, he's coming back from his job. Nick wanted to mark some Pacific species off his list if he could, so we're going to go give them a chase. Sweet, dude. That'll so, be awesome. Very yep, jealous. That's coming up directly, so the podcast will hear about it, I'm sure. Yeah, what's, what's your end goal with this thing? Oh, it's, <laughs> like I said earlier, you, um, you've got a, a little bit maybe more of a better vision fleshed out for what you're doing with it and why you're doing it and what drives you to do it. Honestly, I kind of started it as maybe, uh, I'm going to call it a little side business, which is totally a lie. It's really just an excuse to go and fish some of these cool places. That's really it. Like, I, if I don't have something like this, then I'll, I won't justify myself spending the money and going to spending the time to go and see some of those places. So it's kind of just that last push I needed or excuse to go and see some of these cool places. So I'm keeping that up and that's the, that's the goal right now is to go and see some cool stuff. There's a lot more on the list. That's what I'm after. Chase some more stories, meet some cool, some more people and uh, keep the dream alive there. With that, you want to call it a day? For Take sure. Hike out of here. All right, let's, I think, we've, the hell out think we've done enough damage. I think we have. We, uh, we were pretty easy on the fish today. <laughs> I don't think we harmed any fish in the recording of this podcast. No. Safe to say. <laughs> All right, man. I, cool, It was man. great meeting you, Elliot. And I'm, Likewise, I'm Tim. I'm excited about us maybe doing a few more of these sometime. In yeah, the we'll, get, we'll get together in the future and expose ourselves to each other <laughs> let's do more of that yeah more more total exposure all right adios cool dude just to reiterate tim evans is the man behind the fly fishing podcast fish on the brain which you can find wherever you find your podcasts go check them out there's no field notes this week but as i mentioned just a few minutes ago i'm going to be hitting the highways with the fly fishing film tour while the tour is being shown across the country and around the world, I personally will be in the following cities. Bozeman, Billings, Missoula, Spokane, Seattle, West Seattle, Portland, Bend, Sun Valley, Salt Lake City, Boise, Ann Arbor, Grand Rapids, Madison, and then over to California, where I'll hit Encinitas, Santa Ana, San Carlos, and Sacramento. If you are in any of these areas and have a great idea for an episode of the podcast, drop me a line. You can slide into my DMs on Instagram at Cobalt Jackson, or shoot me an email at Elliot. E-L-L-I-O-T-T at drakemag.com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, that's all we got for today, folks. Come back next week where we'll have something somewhat entertaining, I'm sure. Thanks for listening. This has been 
the Drake cast.